The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Hebrews chapter 6, we started a a new series last week called Framing Faith, where we're kind of going back to the basics, right? And we're talking about the the framework of our faith, the foundation of our faith. We're getting back to, to these elementary principles and making sure we have these in place so we can move on to the greater things that God has for us. Because if the foundation ain't right, how many of you know, we talked about this last week, if you don't get the foundation right, you're not going to be able to move ahead in what God has for you. So it says this in Hebrews chapter 6, this is where we're finding these six principles that we're working in our life, these six foundational principles. It says in verse 1, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. It's saying, it's not saying these aren't important, it's saying we need to, we need to get them so we can move beyond them. Because God's got more stuff beyond these, but if you don't have these in place, you can't move beyond them. It says, let us go on to perfection. That word perfection means maturity. It doesn't mean you've got to be perfect because you can't be. Turn the person beside you and say, you can't be perfect. So don't worry about trying to be perfect. But what God wants you to do is he wants you to walk in maturity where you receive the perfection of Jesus Christ in your life and you move towards the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. Not laying again the foundation. Notice you're not laying a, a foundation that's already been laid Foundation's already in place, okay? The foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. We talked about that last week, that we start off with this foundation of recognizing that our own works are not enough. We can't do it in our, in our own plan, our own ways of doing stuff. So we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. We put our faith, our trust, our hope in him. We recognize he's good. He's got a good plan for our life. And so we can turn our life over to him and trust him with our life. We repent of our trying to do it our own way. And we, we let him be the shepherd of our life to lead us and guide us into what he has for us. Verse 2, it says this, of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands, that's what we're going to talk about today, those two, of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And then in verse 3, it says, and this we will do if God permits. Okay, so we've been kind of talking in construction terms, and we're saying that the strength of a house is, 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 is not in what you see, it's in what you don't see, Right? What's holding a house up, if you look at a house, you look at a building, this building we're in today, what's holding it up is not necessarily the things that you see, it's in a lot of the the framework and the foundation that's connected to this world, because listen, there's going to be storms, there's going to be trials, there's going to be shaking that takes place, and what's going to determine if your life is going to be able to hold up, what determines whether this building holds up in the storms of, that come against this building is the foundation that it was built on. And so the same is true in our life. God wants you to have a solid foundation. He wants you to have a solid, good framework in place so that he can move you ahead. Because if you don't, listen, if God comes to you and he wants to move you ahead and he's got plans for you and good plans for you, but the foundation's not right, the framework's not right, he knows that when the storms of life come, it, your life is going to crumble under the effects of that. And he didn't want that for you. So if you want to move ahead with God, you've got to get the framework right. You've got to get the foundation right. And we also said this too. We said that the foundation determines how big the building can be, doesn't it? And so we said last week that the size of the significance of the word of God in your life, or the size of your life, is determined by the strength of the word of God supporting it. The size of your life 
The size of the significance of your life is going to be determined by the strength of the word of God supporting it. So God is going to come to you and he's going to look at you and he's going to say, okay, I got good big plans for you, but if you got a little foundation, if the foundation ain't right, he's going to say, hey, I'm, I'm a, you're going to stay right here until you get this right. That's what it means in verse three when it says, and this, and this we will do if God permits. God's not gonna permit you to move ahead. He's not gonna give you permission to move ahead if the foundation's not right because he knows it's gonna do damage to your life. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. So what we do is we, 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 need to be, we need to slow down, we need to be patient, and we need to make sure we're building our life on the foundation of the word of God. Because the word of God, listen, the foundation of the word will stand up against any trial, any storm, any problem that you face in this world. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, so today we're going to look at the next two things, which are, which are the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands. And really at the heart of, of these things we're going to talk about, what you're going to see today is that they're, they're kind of built on this idea of relationships. God wants you to have strong relationships, relationships with him and relationships with the body of Christ, the church. You, you need those foundations in your life. So we're going to begin with the doctrine of baptisms. And by the way, just notice it's, it's baptisms. It's not just baptism because there's several baptisms. There's a baptism that takes place when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and you're baptized into the family of God. There's water baptism and then there's Holy Spirit baptism. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus in on water baptism. Next week, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit baptism. Yeah. It's going to be good. And then, uh, and then we're also going to look at the, the laying on of hands. All right, so Acts chapter 2, if you got your Bible, flip over to Acts chapter 2. This is the day after the day of Pentecost. Uh, the disciples were in the upper room. They've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then after this takes place, uh, Peter goes out and he shares this message and at the hearing of this message, the people who heard it are stirred by it. Look at this, verse 37. It says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. They've heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it has cut them to the heart. And look at their response. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And let me just say something. This is the right approach to God right here. Yeah. You hear the word, and the next question is, what do you do with it? You know, every week when I'm writing a message, I have two questions I keep reminding myself of. What do I want them to know, and what do I want them to do? I want you to do something every week. I want you to know something, and based on what you know, you got to do something. we got to be doers of the word of God. That's their approach. So they're like, what do we do? We've heard this gospel message. Jesus is for us. Now what? Look at what Peter says. He says, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. That's talking about water baptism. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's talking about Holy Spirit baptism. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's everybody, just so you know. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Peter says, okay, what do you do? Here's what you do. You repent. You recognize that you've been going in the wrong direction. You're going to turn and go the opposite direction and follow after God. And then you need to be baptized, water baptized. So Peter says here that being baptized is critical to your walk with God. And I'll say it like this. Being baptized is critical to you having the relationship with Jesus that he wants you to have. Water baptism is a big deal. Yeah. 
It's foundational. If you want to move on in the maturity that God has for you, you got to be water baptized. So let me give you four reasons why you need to be water baptized. Here's the first one. Jesus did it. Jesus was water baptized. Matthew says this. It says, uh, then Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. Notice that. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. That's, to me, that's funny. Okay, Jesus, I guess I'll allow it. John, verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Came up from the water, meaning he was submerged in the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's a couple things I want to point out here. The first thing is this. I want you to notice that there was some opposition to Jesus. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, sometimes when we think of opposition, when it comes to us walking with the Lord, we kind of think of the devil, you know, in a red suit with a pitchfork and a tail. Notice that John was kind of bringing some opposition here. And it wasn't that John was evil. It's just that John didn't understand. You know, there's going to be times in your life with God that you're going to face opposition. And sometimes it's that people just don't really understand. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. They just may not understand what God's doing in your life. Men understand what God's called you to do. But, but here's the thing about following God. Following God is not about, it, it really, it's about this. You're going to face opposition, and how do you say yes to God in, the, in spite of the opposition? Because he's say yes to God when there's no opposition. How do you say yes to God when there is opposition? Jesus has been given a directive by God to be baptized, and he's not going to let anything get in the way of that. And so he submitted to God. The next thing we, we see here is we see the Trinity. We see Jesus being baptized and then the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove and the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's a Trinity right there. And I want you to notice that when Jesus is walking in obedience to God, that it says God is pleased with him. One of the reasons why we get baptized is because it pleases God. You're obeying God and it pleases him when you obey him. So listen, church, we're, we're Christians, right? You know, Christians means we're Christ followers. We're supposed to be living our life in the image of Christ Jesus in this world. So if Jesus got baptized, we get baptized. It's what we do. We get fully submerged, baptized like Jesus was baptized. So that's the first reason why we need to be baptized. Here's number two is Jesus commanded it. Jesus told us that we need to do it. This is after the resurrection, Matthew chapter 28. 40 days passed. You know, Jesus, after he rose from the grave, sometimes we think he, he rose from the grave and then he just went up to heaven. But that's not what happened. There was 40 days where he was here having interactions with people. There were 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus here on this earth before he went up to heaven. Yes. And, and this is one of the interactions he has with some of his followers. Verse 19, Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the great commission. This is the mission we're called to carry out in this world. And notice it's a commission, meaning it's a mission that we're on with God. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands it here. So remember, Jesus is God, right? You guys remember that? He's God. He's a part of the Trinity. And he says, 
that we're to do this. So, so, so re- recognize here, this is a command of Jesus. Yes. So the question then becomes, okay, are we not saved if we don't get water baptized? Water baptism doesn't make you more saved. If you're not, you know, they're, they're, we, we see there are references in the Bible, say the sinner who's on the cross with Jesus, that Jesus says, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. Nobody like baptized him after when that was said. So it's, it, you don't have to be water baptized in order to be saved, but being, you get water baptized because you've been saved. Okay, so look back at Acts chapter two. And as I read you this, we, we just read this a minute ago. This is Peter talking about what they're to do, right? And, and when I read this at first, you're, you're going to hear and you're going to say, that seems a little contradictory to what you're saying right now, but, but bear with me here. Verse 38, then Peter said to, him, to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So you say, wait a minute. I thought you said we didn't have to do this, but this says we have to be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, yes, but it's because that word for is, is not really, it's better interpreted as because if you study it out. Okay, so let me, let me illustrate this for you, okay? I want you to imagine that you're walking through your house at night and it's dark, you know, you've all done this before and you think you know where that chair is in the room, but you're, you, you, mis, you misplaced your, your steps there a little bit. And so you clip your pinky toe on that chair and you break your pinky toe. Cringy, right? A little cringy. Hurts, hurts, broke your pinky toe. So you go into the doctor and you're like, I broke, broke my pinky toe, I think. He looks at it, he says, yes, you did. There's really not much we can do about it, but I can give you some pain medicine. And so he, he writes you a prescription. And so you go to the, the pharmacy and you pick up your prescription and you look at the bottle and it says, take one pill for pain. Now, we all know you're not taking that pill so you can have pain, right? You take the pill because you have the pain. That's what this word for means. You're not, you're not getting baptized so because, for the remission of sins. You're being baptized because you've received the remission of sins. And so through water baptism, it's an outward expression of what God has done on the inside of you. It's an outward public profession of the inward connection. And so Jesus has commanded this, and it's something we need to do. But I do want you to understand, I believe there's power that is released in your life when you obey God and do what he's asking you to do here. In fact, in the, in the book of Colossians chapter two, look at this with me, and I want you to track with me here for a moment. We're gonna get into some deep stuff here, but I think you can handle it. You think you can handle it? Yeah. I think you can handle it. God is talking, or the Bible tells us here what takes place with inside of us when we receive water baptism. Look at this. In Christ, you were circumcised, not by any physical act. So it's not talking about a physical circumcision that took place, but by being set free from the sins of flesh by the virtue of Christ's circumcision. That's not talking about a physical circumcision that Jesus received. It's talking about the work of the cross and what it means in your life. See, circumcision uh, means when you're circumcised, there's a, there's a cutting that takes place and it's a covenant that takes place. And there has to be blood shed. And that's what Jesus did for you. He shed his blood. There was a cutting that took place in the body, in the life of Jesus so that you could receive something. But let me read on and I'll, I'll explain this more. You, so to speak, shared in that. We receive that when we see, receive what Jesus did. Just as in baptism, you shared in his death. And in him, you are sharing in the miracle of rising again to new life. And all this because you have faith in the tremendous power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Okay, so this verse compares water baptism to circumcision. 
Now, circumcision in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that God gave to Abraham that would be a reminder to him of the covenant that God had cut with him. God said, I'm giving you all of me and you're giving me all of you. And we're going to walk in relationship and this is a relationship that lasts forever. It never goes away. And it's going to be a relationship and a covenant that's not just for you, but it's for all your descendants. That's talking about the the Jewish Hebrew people. And so when a little baby would be born, they would take that baby and they would circumcise that baby. And there was a cutting away of the flesh. And that cutting away not only reminded that child or that baby of the covenant of God, but it also promoted in that baby hygiene and sensitivity in their life. Okay, so, so track with me here for just a minute. Water baptism is a sign of the new covenant we have in Christ Jesus. And when you receive it, you're receiving, uh, uh, I believe there's a work that God does in your heart, a circumcision that takes place in a greater way of your heart where the cutting away of the flesh takes place so that now you can walk in a greater level of hygiene with God, or let me say it like this, purity in God and sensitivity to the leading of God through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit's leading. You guys tracking with me this morning? So when you go into the, that baptismal water and you come up, there, there's, a, there's a circumcision of the heart that takes place. Some of you have, have been saved. You've been trying to walk with God, but you can't seem to get past certain things. You struggle in purity. You struggle with hearing the voice of God. You struggle with getting some of what God has for you in the word. Maybe, just maybe, is it possible that the reason you're there is because you haven't followed God's direction and built this foundation of water baptism in your life and it's kept you in immaturity with God because you're not obeying him so he can move you on to what he wants you to experience. You guys see what I'm saying this morning? I believe there's a work that God does in you when you receive water baptism where the cutting away of the flesh takes place in a greater way so you can walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh, connected to God through the Holy Spirit and hearing the word of God and seeing it like you've never seen it before. So we get water baptized because it empowers us to know and serve God in a greater way. And here's the fourth reason why we get water baptized is it makes a public statement. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said this, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. Water baptism is a public acknowledgement. When you get baptized, you're declaring, I'm on team Jesus. Now I want to, I want you to imagine a scenario here with me for just a second. Okay. I want you to imagine that you get a phone call today, a little later today, and it's your favorite professional sports team. Okay, so if you don't have a favorite professional sports team, just think of a sports team, okay? And they call you up, and the owner of the team calls you, and he says, hey, we've been watching you, and we like what we see, and we're going to draft you. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to send some people to come pick you up, and and you're going to become a part of our organization, a part of our team. And so you now have access, because you're a part of our team, to everything that being a part of our team gives you access to. All our facilities, our trainers, our equipment, it's all yours. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to endorse you. We're going to put your name on a jersey. And you're going to be known as a, as a player on this team. And I've got a contract for you with a huge signing bonus that's going to change your life. And we want to pay you $25 million a year to play for our organization. And you may be going, I, I don't know why this would happen. You know, I don't know why the Dallas Cowboys would call up Pastor Josh today and... Well, maybe I do, the way this season's going. But anyways. <laughs> so you say, I'm in. Okay, sound, we can make this work. 
I'll adjust my calendar. I'll fit it in. Yeah, let's do it. And so they, they send a jet, they pick you up, they take you, and sure enough, they start showing you around the stadium, the facility, they're showing you all the things you're going to have access to, they bring you in, sit you down, lay the contract out in front of you, you start looking at it, going through it, everything looks good, but then you see something and you, you decide to bring it to their attention. You say, hey, you know what, this all looks really good, except there's one thing that I'm not real comfortable with here, and that's the jersey. I, I, don't, I don't really want to wear the jersey. Because, you know, when we're playing in the game, if I have the jersey on and there's people that, like, they don't like the team, they might say stuff about me and boo me. And I don't, I don't really want that to happen. Like, I'm not going to be comfortable with that. And, and, you know, the other team, they're going to know I'm not on their team. And, like, you know, they're against me. They, they're going to try to hit me. And I don't, you know, I don't really want that. So everything else looks great. I love the contract, the, the facilities, the organization, every, you know, all this stuff looks great. Love the money. But I'm just not real comfortable with the jersey stuff. Guess what the owner is going to say? Um, we're going to have a problem here. Because I'm investing a lot in you. I've picked you because we like what we see in you. And we want to give you access to everything we have. But part of you being on this team means you're going to put on the jersey. And yeah, there are probably people that are going to boo you, but that's okay. You got a team backing you up. And there's probably going to be people that try to hit you, but that's okay. You got a team that's going to go before you and block and help you to move ahead towards the goal that I have for you. But in order to get there, you're going to have to put on the jersey. Why am I saying all this? Here's why I'm saying it. Real simple. In jersey terms, baptism, water baptism is putting on the jersey. And it's declaring that I'm playing for the team of the one who invested in me. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth and he invested on you. You know, he put on your jersey. He put on flesh, came to this earth, lived for 33 years, died on a cross so that you could be saved, so that you could step into relationship with God. And that's gospel good news, isn't it? But I want you to know it's also a big investment. That was a big investment. And here's some good news for you that goes along with that idea. Because he's invested in you so great, that says you're valuable. Like maybe you're here today and you've questioned your value. Feel like you're worthless sometimes. Well, you can know you're worth something because, you know, here's how value works. Value is determined by what somebody's willing to pay for something. And God, God was willing to pay for you with everything he had. He gave his life. So that right there tells you, you are extremely valuable. Jesus died on the cross and that right there says you are worth a lot. But, but with that investment, God wants you to be able to be willing to say, Hey, I'm on your team. I'm with you. I'm on Jesus's team. And if, and if you're not willing to do this, let me just tell you, you're not going to move on in maturity. Like if you've never been water baptized, you're unwilling to be water baptized. You're, you're, you're always going to stay a spiritual infant. Because this is foundational. This is, this is step number two. <laughs> it's repent and be baptized. Like how do you expect God to move you ahead if on step two you're going, eh, don't feel good about this. Yeah. You say, well, Pastor Josh, you know, my, my relationship with God, like, you know, this is kind of a personal thing. Eh, wrong. <laughs> it's not a private thing. It is a personal, I will say it is a personal thing, but it's not a private thing. 
And God does not, God's not looking for secret admirers. You say, well, Pastor Josh, you know, here's the thing, though. Like, I don't really like attention. Like, I like to be kind of in the shadow. I, you know, and if I get water baptized, like, everybody's going to look at me. I'm going to go under the water. My hair's going to get messed up. Clothes are going to get all clingy, you know. I'm not real comfortable with my bod right now. Okay, just, just, just a reminder. I doubt Jesus was real comfortable hanging on the cross naked, dying for your sins. And he was willing to do that because he loved you. And I think you can go under some water in front of a group of people that are cheering you on to declare that I'm on team Jesus and I'm following him and going after him with everything I have. Water baptism is so important. And so, listen, if you've never been water baptized before, you need to get water baptized. It's time to go public. Or maybe you would say today, I, I, I was, but honestly, I, I've never owned it myself. Like my parents water baptized me, but they just kind of told me to do it and I did it because it was, but I've never personally owned it. Or maybe you would say today, I've been water baptized before, but I got away from God for a season of my life. And I, I want to recommit and I want to I do this again. Whatever the case may be, listen to me right now. If God is stirring in you right now a desire to do this, if something in you is saying, I need to do this, here's what I want you to do right now, right now. I want you to get out the app. I want you to get out your phone. Go to newsongpeople.com slash baptism. I want you to register to, bap- to get baptized. Our next one is going to be November 22nd. And I want you to know, this is going to be a regular thing that's going to be taking place in our church. You know, up to this point, when we were mobile, it was hard for us to do stuff like this. But now that we have our own building, you're going to see water baptisms taking place all the time because it's foundational. It's important. It's step number two. And some of you, I know God is stirring you to do this. Do it. Don't just be a hearer. Don't just say, oh, that was a really great message. That was cool what he said. I never thought of it that way before. If God's stirring this this in you right now, do it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's talk about the next part here, which is the laying on of hands. Okay, so understand this about God. God is a God of relational transfer. You think about how God works. God always works through relationship. We come to God through relationship with Jesus Christ. We walk with God in relationship with the Holy Spirit and with other believers. Relationship is huge in the kingdom of God. And so understand if you want to move ahead with the Lord, you have to walk in relationship. You have to have a foundation of relationship. By the way, this is one of the reasons why the church exists. The church exists to give you an opportunity to come together with what is called the body of Christ, just like your body has a bunch of different parts on it and they all work together. The church is designed so you can connect, get planted in the, in the body of Christ, be connected to the body so you can do your part, connected to other people, believing and receiving what God has for you through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit and through other believers. And if you don't make this a priority in your life and say, I'm going to build my life on that foundation that I need other people. If I don't build my life on that, I'm not going to step into the fullness of maturity God has for me. So we got to build our life on this. And so one of the things we see in scripture over and over again is this idea of the laying on of hands. And through the laying on of hands, God promotes through this healthy relationships and we can also receive godly transfers. 
There are certain transfers that God makes in people's life that only come through the laying on of hands. There are certain things God wants to do in your life that will only take place in your life if you're connected and walking with other people. Now, we live in a world today where we're becoming a different version of connected. You know, we, we, you think about, and, and I'm, hear me, I'm not saying social media is bad. I'm not. I, I think you definitely need to have a plan for it. If you don't have a plan for social media, if you don't have a process through which you, you process what you're receiving through it, if you don't have anything like that in, plan, in, in place, you're gonna, it's going to mess you up, okay? So you're going to read a bunch of stuff, and you're going to be all over the place, and you see it all the time, don't you? So social media is not bad, but what happens is, if we're not careful, is we begin to think that these cyber connections are taking the place of real connection. Like never before in the history of the world can we be as connected as we are and yet not really that connected. You can have 2,000 friends on all these different things, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. People can know what you're doing, when you're doing it, who you're doing it with, what you're thinking about while you're doing it. They can know all that. You can know all that about them and yet really have no interaction with another human soul. <laughs> and so God says in, in the New Testament, he, said, he shows us through the word, he throws, shows us through the life of Jesus, this idea of relational connection yeah. And God promotes the laying on of hands. And just so you know, some of what we're seeing in the world today is an attack of the enemy to separate us, isolate us, and keep us from connection and tell us that this other version of connection is just as good. Some of the social distancing stuff is a work of the enemy. I just want you to know that. We got to recognize that. But God works through transfer, and there's, there's amazing transfer that God wants to bring into your life through connection with other people and through the laying on of hands. In fact, I was reading this week, this is a pretty interesting story, a German king named King Frederick II, he was a German king that believed that the German people were the greatest people on the world. In fact, he believed they were the, the initial created race, that they were superior to everybody else. And so he had this idea to prove it. He was going to take some babies and isolate these babies. And through isolation, they would prove that Germany was the original people. And, and, and he believed that these babies would just begin to speak German and they would just be German. So he got these little infants and he took them away and had these nurses that were told to have as little interaction with them as possible, never say a word around them, don't speak to them at all. And that one day they're just going to start speaking German is what he's thinking. So don't talk to them, have as little interaction, take care of them, feed them, all that stuff, but don't, don't love on them, don't hug them, little interaction and they'll turn into Germans. Well, they didn't turn into Germans. Every one of them died. Every one of these infants died. There was a scientist group that came along in the 1940s that began to study this and study, you know, kind of some of this idea of, of what actually took place here because these perfectly healthy babies just die. And they discovered and established a conclusive connection between touch and an infant's ability to thrive. And said this, science has proven that a failure to thrive in infants can be a result from not being in contact and experiencing the love of another human. Human contact is huge. In fact, I have a sister who's four years older than me. She was born in 1975. And so this is 45 years ago. And when she was born, she was born premature. How, how early was she? So two months, she was early. And so when she was born, she only weighed four pounds. And I think she was taken because it was 
a threat against your, my, my mom and her. And so my mom had to have an emergency C-section. She was in a, a fairly dangerous state. The baby was in a fairly dangerous state. And so they had to be separated. But they knew enough to know that this baby just couldn't be left alone. They put the baby, my sister, in this little incubator. But they knew that she needed contact. So my dad would put on full scrubs, scrubs all the way up, gloves, mask, everything. And he would go in to the little incubator and he'd put his hand on her and he would talk to her and he would touch her and he would tell her, I love you and your mama loves you and Jesus loves you and God has a plan for your life. And they would touch her because they knew she needs that kind of interaction with people. Left to herself, she would have died. But because she was experiencing human love and human contact, she was able to live. And 45 years later, she's still here doing great. But what I want you to see is that touch is a powerful thing. Human touch is important. In fact, science says this. Modern science suggests that human touch is the most powerful force in the universe. Science says that. God wants and created you to be touched, to have human interaction. In fact, I read one time that when you uh, like love on your kids, if you give your kids a hug for 20 seconds, it boosts their immune system, it strengthens their psyche, it makes an impact in their life. So every once in a while I'm at home, I'll just go, hey, get over here, and I'll hug one of my kids, and I'll just go, one, two, three, four. And they just, they just do it, they're just like, okay. 20 seconds of interaction there. There's value in human touch. But beyond just the natural value, I want you to know there's supernatural value. There are godly transfers that take place. And one of the ways we see this is we see it in the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus was a hands-on God. We see him in the earth. He was touching people. He was laying hands on people. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, I love this story. This is one of the first miracles Jesus ever did. In verse uh, 40, it says this. It says, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There's faith in that statement. He's not saying, I I think you can do this. He's saying, I, I know you can do it. I'm just wondering if you're willing. Verse 41, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now look at verse 42. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I noticed something in this I'd never seen before. He was healed when Jesus spoke, not when Jesus touched. There's lots of times, there's, there's several occasions in the Bible where Jesus spoke and people were healed. Jesus could have, in this occasion, the healing took place at the speaking. So Jesus could have just spoken and he would have been healed. We all know that. But Jesus touched him. And I believe he did it for intentional reasons. See, if you had leprosy in Bible times, you were considered unclean. And what they believed is, if if I touch you, your uncleanness can get off on me. And so we have to separate and isolate and keep you away from everybody else. And so in this moment, Jesus is ministering to this guy. And he's not just ministering the healing that he needs from the leprosy, he's ministering the healing he needs from the isolation. He's saying, I I recognize, and I I think he's making a powerful statement. He's saying, you know what? Just so you know, I'm not worried about your uncleanness. I'm not worried about what you have getting off on me. What I have is gonna get all up on you. And everything's gonna change. Jesus had a powerful impactful, intentional touch. 
And I want you to know that Jesus still has a powerful, impactful touch. And the vehicle through which that touch is received in this world today is through you. It's through you. We're the hands and the feet of God. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Every one of us are carrying around the very presence of God with us. And God has called us to minister life and healing and freedom and change. You know, the, that, that word, when it talks about Jesus' touch, the word that's used very often is the, is the Greek word haptome. That word haptome, I want you to see this. It means this. It means to fasten oneself to, to adhere to, to cling to, to fasten a fire to, to kindle and set on fire. Here's, here's what you see. Jesus wasn't just rubbing up against people and you know, kind of having like where you're just walking through a crowd and you just accidentally touch people. Jesus, when he touched people, there was a transformation and a transfer that took place. And God wants us to be a people who are bringing that transfer into this world. He wants us to be people of intentional touch. And when you look at scripture, you're gonna see there are seven things that can be transferred through the laying on of hands. Number one is healing. We see in the Bible healing taking place through the laying on of hands over and over again. We see that God transfers blessing through the laying on of hands. There's this story in the Bible where, where these little children are coming to Jesus and it says that he took them up and he, and he put his hands on them, he touched them and he blessed them. And I hope if you're a parent, there are occasions in your life where you're putting your hands on your children and you're blessing them. Yes. And you're speaking the word of God and life over them. Whether it's before you put them to bed, before you send them off to school, we need to be intentional with the touch. You have power of God in your hands to be released over the life of your children. Please do so. Yes. Number three, we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is transferred through the laying on of hands. We'll talk more about that next week. God transfers giftings through the laying on of hands. You know, you've been created by God and he's given you certain giftings, but you know there are certain giftings in you that you will only tap into if you, under the authority of godly Christians and godly church, that stuff is released into your life. There's giftings God wants to release into your life that are transferred into your life through the laying on of hands. There's authority that is transferred through the laying on of hands. Spiritual covering is transferred through the laying on of hands. Apostolistic governance is, laid, is transferred through the laying on of hands. God is a God of relational transfer. And in a world where, where even we think about like the word touch, I know even as I was writing this message this week, I was thinking, you know, if I say it a certain way, people might be like, oh, that sounds kind of risque, you know? What are you saying there? Like touch, like what do you mean touch? Obviously, I mean biblical godly touch here. I'm not talking about, but even that, you know, like you, we have to put guards up because we live in a dark world and touch has been something that's been perverted and messed up. But God wants it to be a powerful thing to which we minister life and healing and blessing to other people. And that's why every week here at church we say, hey, come on down, receive prayer. Because there's some works that you're believing God for, but you're only gonna step into the healing, the freedom, the blessing if you're willing to say, okay, I'm gonna see if God wants to transfer this to me today through the laying on of hands. You tracking with me this morning? God's called us to walk in relationship. And so we need to be people who recognize the power of God at work in us and at work through us. And we need to be people who intentionally lay our hands on other believers, are connected to them, believing God for them and releasing what God has into their life. And you need that for people in your life. You need to be 
walking in this foundation. And if you don't, you're going to walk in some immaturity. You're not going to move into what God has for you. You with me this morning? So you need to uh, experience this in your life and walk in this. This is foundational. You need to be receiving the laying on of hands and you need to be a person laying hands on others. And then you need to be water baptized. And I can, you know, the, the thing with water baptism, there's only one real good excuse for why you shouldn't be water baptized. And that's because you haven't taken the first step, which is repent. You haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, I want to help you with that. So if you would, would you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never repented from your sins, turned away from those things, I want you to know God loves you. He made a big investment in you. He sent his son Jesus so that you could step into the family of God. And what he's inviting you to today is new life through Christ Jesus. And if you've never experienced that before, I want to help you with that today. So I'm going to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning. And church, since you're in agreement with me, would you pray this with me? Say, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I confess I've sinned and I need a savior. And I believe that Jesus is my savior. He died on the cross for me. He rose from the grave for me so I could have new life through him. Thank you, Jesus. I make you my Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.